Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death. How are you doing, John? <laughs> we've, we've cut out all the other bits of the intro. Now we're just a comedy podcast yeah. about death. Uh, we're not even going to do Mars News. Or oh, we're doing, the, we're doing the AFC Wimbledon News, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, it should be added that uh, Hank and I are in real life together right now. Uh-huh. We are in Los Angeles for the annual meeting of DFTBA.com, our merch company. By the way, if you have merchandising needs, if you want an Oh My God, It's Burning Dear Hank and John oh, t-shirt, I, yeah. for instance... I thought you, if you have merchandising needs, like you need someone to merchandise, like build you mer- a merch line, which we also do. Sure, yeah. But, but in addition to that, if you need like shirts, pants, hats. Posters. Posters. Coffee mugs. Wristbands, coffee D-F-T-B-A. mugs. DFTBA.com. Don't forget to be awesome. DFTBA.com. Uh, your source for high quality merch where you can brag about having excellent taste in podcasts and other media. Um, so we're having a great time hanging out together. I am doing well. Mostly, uh, yeah, I have strep seem, throat, which isn't like ideal. Great, yeah. I, I, the strep throat, I can't recommend in good faith. Also, Gary Shandling just died. Yeah, and also like thirty other people. This has been a big death week. It's been a bad week for uh, American celebrities, uh, and also Toronto mayors. And and, and, and Toronto mayors, Ro- t- former mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford died. Uh, Andy Grove, the former CEO of Intel, died. Fife Dog, one of my all-time favorite rappers, one of the absolute uh, lyrical geniuses of uh, hip-hop in the 1990s. Fife Dog, who wrote, uh, I never need a statue to tell me how nice I am, uh, who, who was part of a movement within hip-hop uh, to imagine a world without forebears because none of the forebears uh, that they were told uh, were theirs, felt like theirs. Just an absolute genius, a member of Top Tribe Called Quest. That's a devastating loss. And then Gary Shandling, if you like Modern Family or The Office or any show like it, uh, you owe all of that to Gary Shandling uh, and his groundbreaking show from the 1990s. Also just an incredibly generous, funny uh, man uh, gone from this world uh, at the age of 66. Uh, dang. I guess this is a comedy podcast about death. None of that was very funny. 
But that is the, that is kind of the the key to good comedy. <laughs> is the funny part? No, it is, is where it's not funny ever. Gary Shandling, uh, just toward the end of his life, he didn't know he was dying. He had a sudden heart attack. But he did an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. It occurred to me, by the way, Hank, that if I suddenly die, uh-huh. people will have lots of quotes about my death to throw back at me because it's been, been such a focus of my life. It's true, but you won't care. I might. There's no way of knowing for sure. Anyway, point being, Gary Shandling, in one of the last interviews he did with Jerry Seinfeld, they did an episode of uh, this great show, Comedians. Uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Correct. And uh, Gary Shandling said that at his funeral, he wants a boxing referee who stands over his body and says, one, two, three, four, five, and then just waves his hands and calls it off and says he's not getting up. He's not getting, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I just want, yeah, I mean, I'm, I want to make sure make sure nobody's burying me in a, in a coffin in the ground and I'm still alive. I, I do want that oh, boxing that's key. referee. That's key. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing I want less in the world. And you know who knows for sure whether you're still breathing? A boxing referee? A licensed referee of boxing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the kind of expert that I want to attend uh, to my death. They are experts at least in knowing if someone is conscious or not. I'm not so sure about uh, alive and dead. Hank, I almost feel like we should move on to the short poem for the day because it's been so, so dark. It's, sure. Can, I mean, is I, it is it going to be uh, less dark? It is. Okay. It is. Oh. Now, Hank, as you know, uh, Richard Wright is one of my uh, favorite writers, great American novelist, but he was also an author of haiku. In fact, he wrote more than 4,000 haikus in his life. If we wanted to... We could have a short poem every podcast for the next, what, I don't know, 40 years with nothing but Richard Wright poems. But I'm just going to read you one instead of reading you all 4,000 of them. It's a nice uh, early spring poem. An apple blossom trembling on a sunlit branch from the weight of bees. It's uh, haiku number 78 by Richard Wright. Well, John, we could have a Richard (coughs) Wright. If we do it, Dear Hank and John, every week for the next... 76 years, yeah. we will still have Richard Wright haikus. I'll tell you my biggest concern about that mm-hmm. is that one or both of us is almost certain to be deceased in 76 years. What? Don't you think so? You think? Oh, yeah. You think we're going to die? No, no, no. I think I know we're going to die. I think we're going to die within the next 76 years. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm going to say both of us are going to be dead in 76 years. That's, I don't only be 115. Uh huh. That is on the far edge. That is on the that that's on, on the, the far edge of the, of the, the likely curve. curve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the far outside of that wave, uh, and and you know at 115 you're riding that down down the the nether regions of the bell curve there, thinking things are okay. Like that woman who did that dance with President Obama. Nobody was happier than her ever in the world. That's true, but I think she was only 104. Uh, so she's 11 years short of being wow. able to get through all of Richard Wright's haikus. You forget how much time, like, you know, like, you get to be 70 and you're like, well, at any any moment now. Yeah. Uh, really. Yeah. And then, and then 90 is like 20 years from that. Yeah. Not like the, imagine all the stuff you get done between when you're Zero and, zero and twenty. Zero and twenty. You yeah. just get to do all that over again. Right, but in reverse order. So instead of um, you know <laughs> getting potty trained, you find yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly, uh, you have to have you have to have care, caregivers again. Oh boy. Oh I don't, boy. Yeah, we've we've just we've gone all the way into the darkness. And what I wanted to do was read a nice little spring haiku about bees, so that I could start off with a question from a listener about bees. Okay, let's talk about bees. 
All right, Hank, our first question comes from Gabriella, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I haven't heard about the bees in a while. Are they okay, or did we just get bored with them? Best wishes, Gabriella. <laughs> I like it. It's, uh, Gabriella, you do understand how, uh, how it all works in the news media, which is that if there's a problem, yep. and it goes on for long enough, yep. you're just like, well... That's not news anymore. It's not it, a new problem. It's just still a problem. It's just a problem. Yeah. And we don't talk about problems. We talk about new problems because it's there's a reason we call it the news. Yeah. Uh, the bees are, well, according to my morning walks here in, in Los Angeles, they're great. They're everywhere. <laughs> they are like, this entire city smells like flowers. And the bees know it. I saw a hummingbird this morning. Uh, which is not a bee. I was going to say, I, I'm not, not an expert in ornithology, but I believe that's a bird. Uh, and, with a lot, lots of bees all over the place. Uh, but I think, that the, I think that colony collapse disorder remains a problem. And, uh, and we, I think that it's coming up on the season where we sort of are able to know. It's been winter, so it's sort of not bee season, mm -hmm. not really the, the farming time of the year in most mm -hmm. of America. Though here in California, they just keep growing stuff all the time. So yeah, it's a little less in the news because we are not sure how it's going because it's not bee time. So we're gonna find out as as we get into spring and then summer. We're gonna see how how the bees are doing based uh, you know compared to last year and and whether or not we're gonna continue to have you know crops, food to eat, stuff like that. I mean, more important even than that, like imagine a future in which that Richard Wright haiku just doesn't make sense to readers because there are no longer either apple blossoms or bees. I read I read a book recently, uh, in which. Uh, something terrible happens and uh, a person has to remake the earth but with far more solar radiation. Uh -huh. uh, this is a fantasy, not a science fiction. And, and so they make all of the plants darker in color and they make them sort of brown and, and everybody uh, reads uh, literature from the past and they're like, could you imagine a green plant? What a ludicrous color! To, to apply to a plant. Yeah. It'd be like uh, us thinking in, in, about like purple plants, being like a whole, yeah. the wor a whole world is covered in neon purple plants. Yeah. But what a, what a lovely thing. I'm looking out the window of your hotel here and I can see a bunch of trees of all sorts, palm trees, oak trees, uh, other trees, yeah. pine, deciduous and otherwise. And what a nice color to have the world covered in. The nice and it must be said utterly uh, artificial as we are currently in a desert. Oh, Los Angeles! It can handle it can handle the uh, the trees. It's fine. We'll just we'll just put uh, we we'll get a big pipe, bring it over the mountains, pipe all that water over the mountains. It's fine. I'll make it work. We'll make it work. <laughs> they got, we can do anything. We're we're Americans. We got another question, John. <laughs> this this one's from Kara. That was the Trumpiest thing you've ever said. <laughs> this is from Kara. Who asks, Dear Hank and John, what is the most efficient way? to stir my hot cocoa, Kara. Well, Kara, um, good news. There is a physics answer to this question. It oh, just is there? Did you look this up? Yeah, it involves Brownian motion. Mm. It's the reason why when you blow on your hot cocoa, it actually does cool it off faster than if you don't sure. blow on it. If you say so. Um, I, I Googled it, and Kara, a couple things. First off, I don't understand why stirring your hot cocoa makes it um, cooler than it would otherwise be, but it does. Secondly, uh, this is not something that you should worry about. No, no, I think that the, 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 what you should definitely not do is use like a, uh, like a two-stroke lawnmower to stir your hot cocoa. That sure. would be inefficient. Yeah, don't, uh, you're right, actually, that's a good point, because you don't want to add to your carbon footprint when yeah. you're mixing your hot cocoa, so you don't want to do it in a blender. Right, right, you, you know, make sure you're not using a, a jet engine. 
Yeah, I uh, would use I would use hand and spoon or or one of those wooden stirrer sticks. But I probably just for the sake of the environment use a reusable spoon. Oh yeah, I think the most efficient way to stir your your, your hot cocoa is is with a spoon and your hand. Do not, I repeat, do not involve gasoline. Yeah. Or kerosene. Yeah. In any way. Yeah. Just no engines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I I know Kara that you are. Uh, profoundly lazy, and yeah. that you would like no, to, she's not. to use a two-stroke engine. I, I totally disagree with your characterization of Kara. Uh, okay, well, I'm, All right, I'm listen, not saying I've, that I've she's been not a I've been, I've been reading Kara's questions uh, on this very podcast for months now, and <laughs> she's a very thoughtful, interesting person. Are you and sure it's not more than one Kara? Nope, same Kara, and uh, I believe it's actually it's actually a Kara, because I believe it's oh. actually... Uh, Paper Town star Cara Delevingne. She writes in every week. Um, great friend of the pod. Thanks, Cara. Appreciate your support. Um, we've got another question. This one comes from Sarah and Jenna, who write, Dear John and Hank, we are wondering what you would name a baby if you had to name it after a fruit. Mmm. Well, there are so many good fruits. I know. Mango. Mango Roth Stiegelman. Stiegelman? Stiegelman. With a T? Yeah. Well, oh. first off... <laughs> It, I, I mean, I think this would be your baby. So right. it would be Mango Green, which is a terrible name. Mango <laughs> Green is a horrible name to give a child. Well, Lime Green is worse. Lime Green is bad. Olive uh, Green is actually pretty cute. Olive Green is kind of adorable. I uh, might go with Olive if an olive is a fruit, which I'm not sure it is. Olive is a fruit? It doesn't taste like a fruit. What else would an olive be? Mm, I don't even think that an olive is a food. I've had this argument with my wife for years. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually with you on this. I think it's more of like a, it's more of like a food additive. Yeah, it's like a garnish. Yeah, right. It's more like <laughs> parsley, which I also don't think of as a fruit. Um, no, well, that's clearly not a fruit because how it's leaves. <laughs> well, I also don't think of it as a vegetable. I think of it as a sort of non-food item that sometimes accompanies food. Well, parsley is particularly ludicrous because it doesn't even have flavor it's just a it's a, it's literally there just to have to give you a look give you a, a leaf parsley has a little bit of flavor but I, I don't think that we really need to get into the weeds of that that question because it doesn't address the larger question from Sarah and Jenna which is what would you name your child if you had to name it after a fruit I'm gonna go with olive I came up with a great answer that's mm. adorable name olive green what the frick I think I'm gonna go with kiwi that's cute too. Kiwi green. Mm-hmm. I like kiwi green. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be hard to lose, Sarah and Jenna. One thing that I would say is, um, I would not go with rectangular banana. No. Rectangular banana green. Or triangular banana. Uh, we've seen a few triangular bananas terrifying. from uh, from some Hank and, dear Hank and John listeners, which yeah. we really appreciate. Yeah. Thank you for sending Gr- us all your bananas on Twitter. I, I do want to say that it might be a good idea, and I was talking about this on Not Too Deep with Grace Helbig, which is yep. probably going to come out significantly after this podcast. Sure. So I'm spoiling it for you. Okay. That it's good to name your child something uh, something that's already in the emoji bank. Oh, that's a great point. So that you don't have to type out the whole name and they can just put the emoji on their birth certificate. Yeah, it's actually, ideally, ideally you will name your child some kind of emoji. Right. Exactly. I wonder what, like, if you had to pick from an emoji what you would pick for an, a real name, not like a joke name. Like, obviously, you know, obviously we'd all be tempted by Praise Hands Green. Yeah. But, like, what would you actually pick? 
It's funny that is the example I used on on not too deep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or you know, and everybody would, be, would say that they're going to do smiling pile of poo green, but nobody yeah, will. Actually nobody actually no, will. No, of course not. Yeah. I'm, I'm opening up my emojis now. Like, what's a good yeah. what's a good name? Alien face, eyeballs, bikini green, bikini green, <laughs> uh, diamond ring, diamond ring green, caterpillar, caterpillar green, super clover. weird. Clover, clover's kind of clover nice. Clover green. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah, sure. Tulips. Let me take a look at that emoji bank. I don't actually don't have emojis on my phone. That's how oh old my God, I am. Are you serious? Uh, they've got apple, apple green, um, eggplant, oh, eggplant apple, green, like a, like a, like a Gwyneth Paltrow's Gwyneth kid, Paltrow's. lollipop green. That's a little weird. That's eh, cute. Baby bottle green. It's, that's like really cute at first, but then it's like progressively <laughs> less useful. Yeah. You know, like being called uh, baby bottle green when you're a 32 year old uh, executive at like a right. large tech well, firm. Then you just you just BB. You go BB green. We actually have a cousin BB. Um, golfing green. <laughs> golfing? Golfing green. Is that person? Yeah, the person is golfing. It's oh, a, go- a, per- so a golfing, golfing. Golfing green. Uh, tennis green. Uh, tennis green is a thing. I'm pretty pleased with yellow ribbon green. And then I think I would go with purple space invader green. If I had to actually make a choice, I'd go purple space invader green. <laughs> I didn't know that was a space invader. Could it just be uh, like flag of Japan green? <laughs> <laughs> 2.30 green. Because they got the clocks. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 230, 2.30 green. All right, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done on this podcast, and that's really saying something. Well, it's, Let's it's move on to a different question. especially bad because I'm totally ruining the great jokes that me and Grace made about this. Yeah, yeah. All right, Hank, so we got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions this week about Donald Trump. Oh, I bet we did. It's the thing where no matter what you're doing, what you're talking about, uh, it just comes up. And uh, you're, like, you're like, it's enough that... Ninety percent of the news is Donald Trump. Could yeah. my, could not ninety percent of my life be Donald Trump, please? You know, Hank, it's funny. I was thinking about an old line, often falsely attributed to George Bernard Shaw. It's not really clear uh, its provenance, but it is a wonderful, wonderful observation, and seems to me to speak to our time brilliantly. The line is this: Never wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig likes it. I think when it comes to uh, Donald Trump, uh, all you get when wrestling the pig is dirty and all Donald Trump gets is stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have not seen any evidence that uh, pointing out that Donald Trump is not qualified to be president of the United States on many different levels has resulted in uh, any cracks in his support. So we're trying to figure out how to best engage with that in online discourse. But this question comes from Eric, and it's an interesting one. He writes, Dear John and Hank, we need to have a serious discussion about politics with the entirety of Nerdfighteria. (laughs) I don't know that that's actually possible, Eric, because, you know, Nerdfighteria is sort of an, uh, it's like an amoeba. It's an amorphous blob of amorphous different kinds of people. It's an amorphous blob and, and of, of, people who, of people with shifting identities. We can disagree on tax rates, on minimum wages, on how much the U.S. government should intervene in different things. And you're right that this is a conversation we need to have peacefully and respectfully. But we also need to set boundaries. You can't expect me to respect the opinion of someone who believes that gay marriage is wrong and should be illegal or treat as legitimate the claim that global warming isn't a huge man-made problem. Yet those are the viewpoints of all three main Republican candidates. So, this is a difficult, difficult thing. And like, I have the same problem. I have the same problem. And, and, but I, at the same time, want to be able to not hate these people. 
Like, well, for me, I it's that, for me, that, it's what's gonna what's gonna work. I'm not interested in right. like the my well, right, right. Well, there's there is like yes, I see what you're saying, but like it's yes, yeah. And I think you're right. I think what's yeah. You continue talking because I am I'm doing poorly at it. <laughs> So in my opinion, r- removing people from the conversation or excluding them from the conversation does not lead to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so making it so that people don't feel comfortable in a space, that all that means is that they're going to seek out other spaces where they won't be challenged on those topics. They're going to seek out their echo chambers and uh, that's true for all of us, by the way, not just, not just people who don't think that uh, climate change is man-made, which it is. Um, and so the challenge for me is how do I engage in conversations where I state strongly that, you know, obviously I believe that uh, in marriage equality, I believe that there's a massive overwhelming amount of uh, evidence that uh, climate change is caused by humans. Uh, and how do I say that and acknowledge that and make that part of my worldview while at the same time not excluding other people from the conversation, which in the end will get me less, will get me further and further away from what I want, mm-hmm. which is uh, people who can engage seriously with each other on these topics because I really believe that if you engage seriously, you think seriously, and you look at the evidence when it comes to climate change or when it comes to marriage equality, uh, it, the argument goes away. The legitimacy of the uh, anti-marriage equality argument goes away, and the legitimacy of the uh, anti-the yeah, global warming isn't real exist. thing that yeah. that goes away too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's difficult to have compassion for people when you feel a little bit like the source of of their perspective contains not so much compassion. But it is it's important to, to remember that people are very different from each other. I have a little bit more sympathy for the the global warming thing because it's like, okay, fine, like whatever. Maybe you feel like this is all like just a liberal plot to take to like increase the size of government and and like, sure, that's scary. Uh, but like the denial of people's rights uh, just seems very un-American. But it is obviously a thing that we did for the last two hundred years, and and it is terrifying that we've done that. Um, and so I try to have sympathy. I try to ha- be compassionate and and think hard about. Like and, and like, understand that, that people have different perspectives than, than me. That does not make them bad people. It makes them, but it it makes their beliefs bad. But it does not make them bad. Um, and and I am reminded of a line from from Ender's Game, uh, which I just looked up and did not have this in my head. In the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment I also love him. And uh, it, it particularly. Uh, poignant because the author of Ender's Game uh, is kind of a uh, you know homophobic douche. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I think, <coughs> yeah. Um, uh, so the other the other thing the other thing I'd add here is that I have seen a lot in YouTube comments and and just generally in the way that we're talking, people saying, "Look what's happened to this great country. Look how horrible things mm-hmm. have become in the United States." this once great nation. And I think that calls back to a past that just did not exist, right? I mean, 
For the vast majority of American history, women couldn't vote. For much of American history, white men couldn't vote unless they were rich enough to own property. For the vast majority of American history, African, African American men couldn't vote. I mean, for the vast majority of America's history, it has been a profoundly undemocratic place. Like in 1960, as late as 1968, most delegates cho who chose the nominees for the political parties were not beholden to voters in any way. And that's changed and that's good. The United States has become a more inclusive country when it comes to governance in the last 50 years and in the last 100 years and in the last 200 years. And I just don't buy that there's a place in American history that you can point to that was mm -hmm. some golden age. Like, yeah, we no, are a all, deeply flawed all, country, but we always have been. That's all clearly just, you know, psychology, and that's just how we feel and, uh, about the world. And, it, and we're pointing out not, this hearkening back isn't, isn't pointing out a, a legitimate, like, thing that we're remembering. It's, point, it's, it's just connecting with people's emotions. And that's a lot of what this is about. And I think I think a lot of you know, like, and and then you get into like trying to figure out the psychology of every person who's supporting Donald Trump when every person who's supporting Donald Trump has a different psychology, different ideology, and different reasons why they're doing it. Some people just are just racist. Some people are excited about a, a legitimate businessman in office, even though he's not what I would call a legitimate businessman. Nor, in fact, a successful one. Uh, and. Uh, and some people are just like 100% protest vote because uh, the Republican Party tried to spread itself a little too thin in how, in how it appealed to, to voters. Uh, and clearly a lot of people got disenfranchised by that process. So I think the other thing that Eric wanted to point out is that uh, you know we talk a lot about Trump and Trumpism, but Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and uh, hold in many cases very similar uh, viewpoints, ideological, yeah. especially when it comes to Climate change and, and marriage mm -hmm. equality, and a few other um, a few other things that are important to a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of voters, and that and that are sort of, in my opinion, at least, openly discriminatory, and um, and that's that is an important thing to note. Like you can't uh, you can't sort of ridicule Trumpism without also noting that it is part of a much larger uh, strain of ideology within within the Republican Party that has, in many cases, broad support among Republicans. Um, and I think that, but I don't think the way, uh, I don't think the way to counter that is with, um, is merely with anger or with outrage. I think the way to encounter it is uh, to try to listen to people mm -hmm. um, and to try to understand them and then to defend your point of view, um, you know, passionately and, and, and with seriousness. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, we look at, we look at this and, and a lot of this is driven, in fact, by uh, people objectifying their opponent. And it is ludicrous to say that we do not do that, we, as liberals, as Democrats. We do that all the time. I'm we not say, a Democrat. Well, as, or as left, or as like, the, whatever, whatever This just got are, awkward. Whatever we are. Uh, it is like all sides do that. We love to demonize our opponents, and we are yeah. so good at it. And it is it's it is the reason why a lot of and, and it's been sort of like a joyous thing to ridicule them as a, a Democrat, as a as, as a liberal for the last eight years, because there's been a guy that I like quite a bit in the White House, and that like probably didn't do us any any favors in the long term. Um, the ridiculing, and, you mean? Yeah, the ridiculing.
Yeah. Not the, not the presidency, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, the last thing that I want to say is is I yeah I, I think that we end up looking at this as as uh, like a team sport and like we're rooting for our team and we kind of and even like we disengage from from policy and talk only about ideology and about who's who's bad and who's who's wrong and and I think that. I have just I've I've started to feel more than ever in the last uh, the last few months that uh, it's really important to think of this country as a country and and that maybe uh, governing it is more important than winning and I don't know that anybody in in politics is feeling that right now. That was very beautifully put, Hank. Um, let's try to have more policy discussions on Dear Hank and John instead of <laughs> ideology discussions. I'd love to have a question about what we think the top marginal income tax rate should be, for instance. Well, I've got one here from Robin that uh, is, is some, somewhat similar who asks, Dear Hank and John, is Kanye West cocky or confident? All right, so I have a lot of opinions on this. Maybe, I don't we, know. Should maybe we should just skip it. Maybe it's too much. I don't, yeah, is it I don't too know. much for I, I don't know. Do we have a whole episode to devote to the question? <laughs> Um, there's, there's some things that uh, I consider myself like something of an expert in, uh, young adult fiction, the sort of yep. ethics around conjoined twins. <laughs> there's a few things that I've done a lot of reading about. There is nothing that I have thought so long and so hard about like Kanye's confidence slash cockiness. Mm -hmm. So you should watch Sarah's video, The Case for Kanye West, where she makes the case for him as a contemporary artist. Um, whose work is in many ways a kind of performance art. Um, I think that Kanye is often a buffoon. He is often wrong. Uh, he is often offensive. He does also often apologize for being wrong and a buffoon mm. and offensive, which is something that you don't see enough these days. I love a good apologizer. Um, <laughs> he is a provocateur. Mm -hmm. He understands that in the contemporary media landscape, being provocative is in many ways more valuable than being great. And he is also a brilliant, brilliant manipulator of contemporary discourse and media. And I think that he is confident. But I also think that he plays cocky because he understands what, uh, he understands both the threats and opportunities posed uh, by this image of a cocky African-American strong uh, male. And mm. I think he's, he plays with our expectations around that. And so I think it's not a matter of being cocky or confident. It's a matter of transcending both cockiness and confidence in the pursuit of something else that he wants that's much more interesting. And do you think that that, that is a thing that Kanye wants, West wants only for Kanye West, or is that something bigger than that? No, I think Kanye West is trying to make a bunch of points to uh, all of us about, um, about celebrity, about media worship, and about the way that we uh, treat and imagine and look at black bodies in media and in public conversations. I also think that Kanye West is trying to do what's good for Kanye West, and mm -hmm. I think that there is an amazing uh, and sometimes unproductive tension there. And I would love for Kanye to be, to be able to let go of what's good for Kanye. Do you think that we could have him on the podcast? Do you think we could get could Kanye on the pod, get him a little Dear Hank and John? Maybe he could bring some news from, from Neptune. <laughs> so where, here's, where would he bring the news from? Here's, here's my closest connection to Kanye. Oh, you have a close connection to Kanye? I am Look a, at you, you uh, hanging out with Taylor Swift, Kanye West's right around the corner. 
I am uh, I am acquainted with uh, Kendall and Kylie Jenner. Oh, I'm acquainted with Kanye West's agent. Oh well, yeah. Why don't That's we like just call? Actually. Why don't we just call him? Actually, yeah. Now that <laughs> I, I know think that about it, pretty we know, well. We know Kanye West's agent. <laughs> why we should I, just call him? Yeah, I'll just text him right now. Yeah, just be like, hey. <laughs> Can you get Kanye on our pod? Yeah. It's the 373rd most popular podcast on iTunes today. Uh, I yeah, and, and we uh, we talk, and I want to I want to ask Kanye his opinions on death mostly. I just want to know how I feel oh. about the impending demise of Kanye West, I the would, thing that will happen. I would be fascinated to to, to hear what whether Kanye West thinks about death and whether it haunts him at night. Oh, uh, why do you think? Why else is he doing all this stuff? Well. Why else? It's, it's all weird... about everybody's driven by the same thing, John. No, I don't buy that argument actually, at all. because I every... actually don't buy it either all because these... I'm not driven by death the way that you are. I'm not I... driven by death at all because I, have, I, I don't labor under the delusion that somehow like work that I do will survive me in ways that will allow me to like somehow escape the universality of death. I don't even think about death. I don't even think of... You're always thinking about death. You don't think about death? I very rarely think about death. Really? Yeah. Like your own death or other people's? I think about other people's death far more than I think about my own. I would estimate that I think about my death. I mean, you think about it every day, right? No. You go a whole day without thinking about your death? I would say that 90% of the times I think about death is while we're recording Dear Hank and John. Are you serious? Yeah. So I understand that like my rumination and obsession with uh, my own mortality is like an outgrowth of my obsessive compulsive disorder because I recognize those thought spirals as being very mm-hmm. similar to the other thought spirals that I get into. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems to me the only one that isn't crazy. Like I, I understand like, like when I look at the, the sort of like my OCD, like I see behaviors and I'm like, those are not normal. Like I, you know, like that is a, that is a mental health problem. But I don't feel that way about my obsession with death at all. It feels totally normal. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I don't know. Uh, people are going to have to let us know in the comments on the SoundCloud and at the Patreon, patreon.com slash John. Do you think about death every day? Boy, today's <laughs> podcast is really brought to you by death. <laughs> not Cold, dead, senseless, meaningless death. Uh, not- it is everywhere. Not for the first time is it brought to you by death either. Today's podcast is also brought to you by two-stroke cocoa stirrers. <laughs> powered by gasoline mixed with motor oil. You just post it right down in there into your cocoa and give it a give it a pull. And then you get and it's so so efficient. And of course today's podcast is brought to you by death. Death. <laughs> It's coming for you. <laughs> it's coming for you, and it will not be denied. Oh, and finally, this podcast is brought to you by the end of healthy American political discourse. Uh, welcome uh, to the, the terrible future of healthy political discourse no longer extant I in the United States. I just don't think we had a past with healthy political discourse. <laughs> I just, you realize, we had a civil war. We did. Like, an act, like, people killed each other on a battlefield over bad political discourse. It's true, it's true. And I don't think that people are going to kill each other on a battlefield. No, uh, we are not going to have a civil war. No. no. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice. I'm, I'm glad to be there. I'm glad to be, though I was talking to a person who's an expert and who has uh, done mediation for several actual wars, mm-hmm. like people on both sides of actual wars. Mm-hmm. And he was like, none of the other places I went to thought that it could happen to their country. <sighs> <laughs> I was like, shut up and stop talking to me. I don't want to know. Don't tell me about how uh, any of that. <laughs>
This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Uh, we got a question from Jason, John. Jason yep. asks, Dear Hank and John, what are your thoughts on JCPenney's Penny Days sale, where many of the products have a buy one, get one for a penny sale? I personally feel very upset by this. Well, here's what I'll say, Jason. It isn't a buy one, get one for a penny sale. It's a buy one, get one free sale, because pennies are worth nothing. So Is this, way, is, is this the thing that's upset, upsetting you, Jason? I assume so. Yeah. I assume it's the fact that it just calls attention to the worthlessness of the penny. I mean, in this in this moment, J.C. Penney's is essentially saying, mm-hmm. this is such a good deal that we will give you the second item for not nothing. But we will take away. Something that is worth less than nothing. <laughs> we will take away this thing that you might have yeah, yeah. that's worth less, worth less than nothing. As a kind of charitable endeavor, we will take your pennies away from you. I, almost, I kind of love the idea of a place that, like, it's like a, the sale is bring us your pennies and uh, we'll take them. That's the whole sale. Can and I, then you can buy things as well. Can I tell you the, the business I hate most in the entire world? Coinstar. Really? Do you know Coinstar is a publicly traded stock? You can uh, buy Coinstar stock on a stock exchange. Well, I won't because this is Coinstar's business model. Coinstar's business model is coins are so worthless, Mm -hmm. they are such a bad example of what money ought to do, which is facilitate the exchange of goods and services, Mm -hmm. that we, what we'll do is you throw all of your coins into our machine and all we're going to do is take away 7% of the value of your money <laughs> in exchange for giving you, you know, money in a different form yeah. that you can finally use to spend. It, it, it is an, a ludicrous, it is a ludicrous uh, thing that exists. But, but, I do, there's a thing that I very much like about Coinstar. Mm. If you go, 
this is a thing. If you go to a coin star, there's a little, there's, uh, there's like a mesh thing. Yeah. That, that sure. The smallest one is a little bit smaller than a dime. Yeah. And then you lift it up, and they all slide in. What happens is all of the stuff that isn't like that is in like people's like uh, cardboard box full of coins. Yeah. All the stuff that isn't coins falls through that and just into a tray. Yeah. And so you can stick your head in there and look down and see all the stuff that people had in their weird cardboard boxes full of coins, and it's always fascinating to find out what's in there. Yeah. Uh, it's so great. And you just look down in there and it's like, look at all that stuff. Look at all that stuff that people have in their boxes full of coins. Uh, that doesn't give me any fulfillment. I what would love give me so fulfillment much. is if we had rational money making that focused on, huh, sure, what could sure. we do but, to but make would our money useful what? to the people on Earth who spend it? What would give me the same thrill, though? If we got rid of Coinstar, if we got rid of all of this, we made all of these things, the policies make sense, what would give me that thrill? Where would I go for that what's in people's coin boxes thrill? Now, you go over to your friend's house, you open up their medicine cabinet, it's duly fascinating, you have the exact <laughs> same joy. <laughs> That's awful, John. Don't do that. I do it every time Don't I visit. do that. If I'm oh, at your house, a, you can rest assured that when I go to your bathroom, <laughs> I take a quick glance. Oh, man, I've got to put all my suppositories in the under, <laughs> under compartment. I have a secret compartment in the back of your medicine cabinet. You open up the medicine cabinet, you open it the back of the medicine cabinet, and you just reach in the other room where you grab your friend's hair, and they're like, ah, it's great, it's fun. Uh, we've got another question, Hank. I don't. This, this, uh, the, the podcast is so far off the rails that I don't know how to get it back on the rails. But this question comes from Anna. Uh huh. I think the Frozen character, but I'm not positive. Okay. Um, and she writes, "Dear John and Hank, my friends and I have been discussing the consequences of loosing your big toe. They've been telling me that you would have a lot of don't trouble. Don't make fun walking. of people's spelling, John. I'm not making fun of their spelling. I think they mean if it became loose, <laughs> loosening, just twisting it like three twists." <laughs> Not like twisting it a few times, not like full full removal, but just like wah, wah, like the top like the top of a coke can. Yeah, like what if your toe bottle, was just coke, loose? Coke bottle. Yeah, it's loosened. Yeah, if it was slightly loosened. No, so Anna, I feel that this is an important moment in our relationship. Losing has only one O in it. Loosing, which is also a word, has two O's in it, but I think you meant losing. Losing your big toe. Uh, they've been telling me that you'd have a lot of trouble walking if this happened, so what would actually happen if you lost your big toe? Would your life be that different? Uh, yes, uh, it would be hard to walk, and it would be very hard to dance, uh, in particular, I, I think. Running, you uh, just, just pay a little bit. Here's an idea. Take a, uh, take a, a pebble, uh, like some kind of uncomfortably sized uh, pebble, and ta tape it, like scotch tape it at the bottom of your big toe. Yeah. And every time you feel that pebble as you walk around, think, I would not be able to put pressure on that place. Mm -hmm. uh, and imagine how it would feel to walk around with your, yeah, your big toe does a great deal of work. Uh, you can, it, is, it is connected to a large tendon that's connected to your calf. Muscle. It's one of the one of the uh, muscles in your calf controls your big toe, and it's a fairly large muscle, and it does a lot of work. Uh, you do not want to not have that thing to to do that pushing. From a functional standpoint, according to a study published in Clinical Orthopedics and Related Research, amputating a big toe results in little or no disability. So everything that you just said is wrong, <laughs> at least. At least according to <laughs> clinical orthopedics and related research, which I don't know if that's a better source than your thing about putting a pebble on your toe, but I kind of suspect that it is. Uh, so it will affect your gait, uh, but it will not result in your in a, it will not result in you being unable to run. Sure, no, yeah, you would. Yes, in the in the beginning, it would be much more difficult. You'd get better at using it, but I do think that if you were if you really enjoy dancing, it would definitely impact your ability to dance. Uh, I I actually have a lot of 
toe pain in my uh, in my pinky toe on my right foot. I mean, this must be the I seventh often, podcast where you've mentioned that. I often wish that I could have it amputated, but I've, I've been told that it would uh, it would impact my my uh, ability to have a good time on the dance floor. Yeah. John, you know what? Uh, I, I how I feel about this podcast today. What, how? Uh, a little bit, a little bit disorganized, a little disconnected. Maybe not. Maybe not the smoothest one we've ever done. No, agreed. Uh, I feel like we gave no no dubious advice at all. None whatsoever. Absolutely zero. And uh, and we talked about my least favorite topic, which is Donald Trump. Oh. I just I just want to not ever do it. And yet there we did. We did it, John. Well, I don't think we'll be doing it again. So uh, I hope that I hope that you, those again. of you who wanted us to do that. Are satisfied because I don't. I can't see us going back to it. At least not in the short run. I just don't want to do what I want to do, which is to make myself feel super, like talk talk to a bunch of people about how superior we are to a bunch of people who who believe different things than us or or like support different things than us. And I'm like, no, that's just that's just more of the bad thing where we all talk about how much better we are than other people. I don't know what you just said, but I feel dirty and I feel like the pig liked it. <laughs> All right, it is time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, should I do Mars first? Sure. All right, I'm going to do Mars first. The news from Mars, NASA has released a lovely gravity map of Mars showing all the gravitational differences in the different areas of the, Mar- of the Martian surface. Also, it tells us some stuff about the interior of Mars. It's a very pretty image. You can just Google, and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, and uh, you, from these gravitational differences, we can tell some different new things about Mars. We can see uh, the effects of the massive Tharsis volcanoes uh, when they erupted and and like basically crushed down the uh, the Martian crust, crushed down the crust. Uh, we can see constant sublimation and condensation of CO two at the at the poles, and we can see how much uh, that all of the massive amount trillions of tons of CO two uh, is is affecting the gravity of Mars. And also, we can tell that Mars, as we suspected from, uh, I think, a study back in, I uh, moved like 10 years ago, that Mars actually has a liquid outer core, just like Earth. So, so Earth has like a, a solid inner core and then a liquid mantle and then, a, you know, the crust. And so we think that Mars has also a liquid outer core, which raises the question, why, if it does, does it not have a magnetic field? Because, uh, because I guess, because the inner core inside of this liquid core the solid inner core isn't spinning for whatever reason. And if it were, it would be a very different planet. Mars would be probably, potentially, a planet with a lot more surface water. So raising a lot of questions about Mars and also answering some questions. And a fascinating, fascinating image you should check out because it's pretty. And you can see how uh, just also the uh, sort of like tremendous effects of Mars's large, m- massive volcanoes biggest volcanoes in the solar system, and and also best volcanoes in the solar system, because everybody knows Mars is the best. John, what's your news? Well, Mars is not the best because AFC Wimbledon is the best. Hank, have you ever uh, read Tale of Two Cities by uh, Charles Dickens? Oh, my God. Have you? Is, it was the best of times and the worst of times. No, I haven't. I just, I just think maybe... That's all, I needed, that's all I needed you to say. Okay. I haven't read the book, though. It was the best of times. Charles Dickens. He's the one with, like, Tiny Tim. And it was the worst of times. Oh, it's good and bad news? It was the worst of times. Oh, it was, but now it's the best? No, unfortunately it remains the worst of times because uh, AFC Wimbledon, you'll recall, Hank, their new stadium going home to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. back to Plow Lane. Mm. Uh, it was unanimously approved by the Merton Planning Council until yesterday what? when London Mayor Boris Johnson decided that all why of that they, was why irrelevant. Why did they even elect a Russian? <laughs> decided that all of that was irrelevant 
And that, by the way, if you want to see a picture of what an English Donald Trump would look like, Google <laughs> Boris Johnson. Uh, Boris Johnson. He also hates love and joy and happiness. He, uh, he, called, the, uh, he called the stadium plan in, uh, and now there is going to be a second hearing. Uh, Wimbledon will, it is not an end, Wimbledon will continue to push for a new stadium, and it may well happen, but it will probably be the work of the next mayor. So that is the discouraging no, so news, and it is really discouraging because, of course, you know, the AFC Wimbledon's long-term plans to return to their, um, you know, to return to their neighborhood, to be back uh, at Plow Lane, you know, it was looking great, and now it's looking slightly less great. And yet, it was the best of times. Uh-oh. It was the best of times because down 1-0 against bottom of the league York City, AFC Wimbledon were, were basically in a position, Hank, 70 minutes into the game, mm -hmm. down 1-0 to the worst oh, team to, in the wow, league. Wow. They were basically in a position where it just, the playoff dream was dead. And then there was an own goal, my favorite kind of goal. It's the equivalent of a game being won <laughs> by waterlogged pitch, an own goal. Uh -huh. It's just a beautiful thing. And it, this was a beautiful goal. And then, in the third minute of three minutes of stoppage time, Jake Reeves, Hank, I believe I've shown you the goal. You have, I saw that. People should go Google the goal. Go, to, go look at AFC Wimbledon versus York highlights uh, on the YouTube, because this is astonishing. It's a nice goal. In the last minute of the game, Jake Reeves takes the ball down on his chest from 30 yards outside and he loops in a ridiculous volley. It's like it curves. It's like it says to the air, I'm not so sure about how you work, but it, I've decided <laughs> that you're going to work this way today. It was a wiffle ball it was, of a goal. It was. And I like how he kicks it. He's just sort of like, eh. It was like Jake Reeves not our best player, but a solid, a solid, a solid English fourth-tier professional soccer player. Uh, in the last moment of the game, chested the ball down and thought to himself, "Maybe I should do that thing I know how to do." Yeah, and then proceeded to do it. Yeah, you hit the very upper left-hand yeah. corner of maybe the I'll, net. Maybe perfectly. I'll hit both the crossbar and the post as the <laughs> ball goes into the net from 30 yards out. But first, I'll kick it so high that it's like 700 feet above the air. That's <laughs> above the air. Yeah, it's, it's not even in, in the atmosphere. Okay. It's in outer space. But then, thank God, the forces of gravity are such that it was returned from near Earth orbit uh, to the goal. And Wimbledon won 2 1, 1 0 down to 2 1 up. Oh, that's the, thing that's that the way we're going to win the cup you get for winning the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am very excited. We've got Hartlepool next, also a bit of a bottom dweller. Hartlepool, I once saw them play Swindon Town. They weren't particularly impressive, but did get a draw. And uh, Hartlepool next. And then just eight games remain in AFC Wimbledon's season. It's been a great season. Uh, if very frustrating for this news from uh, London's mayor, I really think you should Google him. By the way, he is uh, he is something to look at. Um, and uh, you see what I mean? Oh wow! I know. He looks like uh, he looks like the the guy in the pit of despair <laughs> uh, from from Princess Bride. He does a little bit. Um, well, he made a bad decision, but um, yeah. So it, there, there is darkness. There is light, and uh, and ever the two shall coexist. Long may they both reign. 
AFC Wimbledon, Hartlepool, tomorrow, or yesterday as you're watching this, um, listening to this. Yeah, big game. Big, big game. All right, John. We've got a couple of, uh, a couple of updates from, from, the, uh, from the community out there. We've got one. Hank, if you ever come to California, which I'm in California right now, you can eat it in an out burger and enjoy some sesame seed-free burger buns. Mm. I knew this about In-N-Out Burger, and it's one of the things I love about In-N-Out, and I, I love it. Uh, thank you very much for the tip, and I'm sure I'll get to an In-N-Out while I'm out here. Uh, though I'm trying not to eat it every day. We and also have... Oh, I, w- I want to do this, just this other one from Rachel. Okay, go. Uh, and we also, we also have this from Rachel, uh, who says AFC Wimbledon is playing in the same league as Steveniv- Stevenage FC, and Stevenage is the town where the ESA ExoMars rover, companion to the recent ExoMars launch, is being designed and built. So maybe I should become a Stevenage fan, John. No, 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 when, no. When was when was the last time you, <coughs> Hank? When was the last time you played Stevenage? Is uh, are first they, off, what? First off, what's wrong with Stevenage? I mean, and I say this with great, immense respect for Rachel. Um, you, you don't want to be a Stevenage. Why fan. not? Well, for one thing, they're twenty second in League Two. Well, does so, that mean that they're not going to be in League Two next year? That means there's a reasonable chance that next year you could be supporting a semi-professional club. Um, but <laughs> well, more. I, I believe in them, though. <laughs> I believe in them, John. And that's Don't, what it's about. Hank, you know what? If you want to become a Stevenage fan and you want to have the Hank Green stand at <laughs> Stevenage's stadium, which is called um, Broad Hallway, and you want to, and you want to like have the, you want to be a fan of the borough. That's what they're called. The borough is the nickname of the because the they're club. from because they're from a borough, like every other club in in uh, <laughs> League Two. Um, yeah, you can uh, you could be a Stevenage supporter, and I, you know what, I would support you completely. I think that that would be great. It would be great for both of us. Just so you know, where Stevenage is, it's okay. it's there. It's in this part of London. Oh, or it's, England. It's, it's in part of, but it's pretty near London. It looks like it's London-ish. Yeah, I'm not an expert. I am also not what you would call an expert on the local geographies of... It's about 30 miles north of central London. The UK. Hank, I would rather you be an AFC Wimbledon supporter than a Stevenage supporter, but I would rather you be a Stevenage supporter than not understand the beauty of football at all. All right, well, I would rather you be a Venus supporter than not understand the beauty of, <laughs> of, of the exploration of our solar system at all. All right, Hank, so what did we learn today? Uh, we learned that you think mostly, most of your time is spent thinking about either death or Kanye West. That's completely untrue. It underestimates how much time I spend thinking about AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you got the three things, John, the three things. And, of course, we learned that uh, it is not efficient to stir your hot cocoa using a lawnmower. No, absolutely not. It's also uh, uh, very efficient to get your merchandise needs fulfilled at DFTBA.com, where we have, oh, my God, it's burning shirts. And and shirts and mugs and lots of other stuff available at DFTBA.com, our only actual podcast sponsor. And, of course, we learned that if Hank had to name a baby after a fruit, he would name it Olive Green. Oh, praise hands. <laughs> Map of Japan. No. Flag of Japan, John. Flag, Flag of, of Japan, Japan green. green. Oh, man, what a future that kid would have. What's your name? <laughs> Flag. Well, that's a weird name. What's your full name? Flag of Japan, Green. <laughs> it's just so easy to just emoji that birth certificate up. All right. Uh, John, we got... I am the proud nation of Brazil, Green. <laughs> oh, difficult times in Brazil, John. 
the uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for performing in this podcast with me, John. It was an excellent performance. I'm glad you read your lines so so professionally, <laughs> as, as if they were not written at all. Well, Hank, it's been a pleasure, as always, to spend an hour in your company, even if the uh, recorder had to be on for this hour. Uh, our podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our intern is Claudia Morales. Rosiana Hulse Rojas helps us out a lot with questions and many other things. Um, the our theme music is by Gunnarola. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.